Yo, this is Steve Bloom, and you're watching Moana Nui Podcast. We'll be starting soon. Don't go anywhere. I'm Veronica Taylor. I'm from myself and Ash Ketchum. I just want to say, Moana Nui, I choose you! Aloha my kako, everyone. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Moana Nui podcast. Uh, my name is Moana and I'm the host and founder of the show. I am normally joined by my partner in crime, my sis Dana, um, but she has a conflict tonight. So hopefully she'll be able to join us um, halfway through. But if not, we will carry on um, in her stead and her spirit is always with us. Um, I am also a children's book author for the Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea um, children's book series. It's a Pacific Islander story told in both English and Olelo Hawaii, which is the Hawaiian language. Um, and I am also the publisher for our comic book series, The Wildcard Chronicles, here at Burning Spear Comics. Uh, tonight, we are talking with our special guest. Uh, Miss Alexandra Tercios, and I forgot to ask her before we started if I, I'm saying that right. So hopefully I'm getting it right and I'm not butchering a name because I kind of take pride in like the importance of people's names. So when she comes on, um, I'll have her correct me. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. She said I got it right. Yay! Um, so Alexandra um, first came our on our show as part of one of our professional development panels. Um, with Kapaw, which is the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. And we enjoyed speaking with her so much that we wanted to have her back so you guys could get to know her a little bit more, um, more particularly about her newest book, um, Today's Inspired Young Latina, uh, where she contributed a story. Um, and I'm excited to have you guys learn more about it and all of the wonderful things that she does. So before we get started, though, I will give you guys a brief introduction, um, and then I will happily welcome her um, to join us here. Uh, Alexandra Tercios is a multifaceted, award-winning professional in the technology sector. She currently works at Adobe as a senior solution consultant and advises clients on digital transformation and maturity. Outside of work, she's a, pub a passionate member of her community. She's been awarded two 40 Under 40 awards for her efforts in advancing women and minorities in the workplace and serves as the chairwoman for the Chicago chapter of the Hispanic Alliance, Hispanic Alliance for Career Advancement, HACE, and is a board director for the Treehouse Humane Society that focuses on animal welfare. We gotta love our, our animal babies. Um, so I'm excited to to have her on the show tonight. Um, and let us bring her up front. Hello, aloha, welcome to Hello. the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me back on the show. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm so glad I said it correctly because <laughs> So many people butcher it, right? Because they're like, I don't know the origin of this. Is it Turkios? But you said it perfect. Turkios. Sweet. Sweet. My little bit of <laughs> little bit of high school Spanish kind of coming in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Um, so on our podcast, uh, we like to start off our show with with the pico. And and in Hawaiian, that's kind of like your um your your connection, your origin. We, we translate it to the origin story, but it's essentially like the connection back to um, your ancestors and, and, you know, where the people of where you come from. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and something special about where you're from? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I consider myself a first-generation Latina. Both of my parents immigrated from Honduras, which is in the heart of Central America, back in the 80s. Um, and a special fact about Honduras, uh, let's see, there's so many um, special facts. I will, I'll share my favorite meal from Honduras, which is pupusas. A lot of people are like, what's the origin of pupusas? Because they actually... You know, they're present in multiple Central American countries, but um, Honduran pupusas, I might be biased, but they're the best. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you got to represent represent your culture. Um, I, I have a friend who um, I think her husband was San Salvador. And so exactly. that's where yeah, that's where I first heard about <laughs> it. Um, I have not tasted them. Is it is it a dessert or is it more of a dish? It's more of a, an entree, a dish. Um, okay. It's made with um, masa, and in the inside, there's you know a variety of meat like pork or beef mixed with cheese. You put cabbage on top, put a oh, little hot sauce, <laughs> and you eat it with your hands. So that's also you know a special thing um, in my household. Is a lot of our food we connect through it with our hands. Um, Got so it. It's amazing. So good. You have to try it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I hear a little bit of echo. I'm not sure. Hope, okay, maybe it'll just be temporary, hopefully. Um, is it cooked or like, um, is it fried or grilled or how, how do you cook it? Yeah, it's it's grilled. Um, okay. So after you make the masa, you get a hot pan, you, you know, add your ingredients in there, flip it, serve it hot. Um, the cabbage is made on the side and it's a nice kind of balance to the hotness of the pupusa itself. Um, so yeah, it's super good. If you guys haven't tried it, highly recommend. There's always a Honduran restaurant in like any city. <laughs> We're everywhere, uh, believe it or not. So there's probably one tucked away in, in DC somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure there, <laughs> there has to be because my girlfriend, um, she that was like her favorite thing to do. But I didn't. I'm not sure if she cooked it because you know she was married to someone who was San Salvadoran. But I'll, I'll definitely have to connect with her and, and ask her for her recommendation. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah yeah awesome guys yeah make sure you check out pupusas it's, it's a great way for people to connect always around food 100 percent. that's <laughs> part about culture it's personally my favorite part food art and culture yeah it's beautiful um so talking about your your cultural heritage from honduras um how important is that to you as a person and as a creator and how do you incorporate it into your projects and your work so i talk a, you know about that in my chapter of the book a little bit and how that surfaces in different environments that i'm in but for me it's really important um for me to speak out loud about my cultural heritage and the mindset that I was around and, you know, some of the things that I had to unlearn from the culture. Um, in Latino community, you know, family is key. Family comes first. It's all about the collectivism uh, within our households and, you know, working in corporate America that comes in con like direct contradiction to how that environment operates, very competitive, individualistic, etc. And so giving people that that forethought, that you know, context behind the household that you grew up in, the cultures that you know that are ingrained in you, um, that have been passed down and instilled from parents and other family members. It's important, right? Because it's going to affect how you show up, um, how you interact with other people, and ultimately what your working personality is. So it's you know you can't really hide it, no matter how hard you might try, um, because it's it's ingrained in you. Um, and I'm really proud of, you know, especially the sacrifices my parents made and how that opened up doorways for me um, to be in this type of corporate environment and um, pursue my passions, right? They didn't necessarily get that luxury. And so the fact that I'm able to pursue that um, and, you know, move away from survivalism to thriving, it's, it's amazing. And I definitely, you know, pay homage to it through the work I do with ASE which is that organization that I'm a chairwoman for um, in the Chicago chapter um, and other efforts that, you know, internally at Adobe, you know, being part of the employee resource groups and all of that good stuff. So it shows up and I'm loud and proud. I'm always like blasting what I'm doing in regards to giving back to the Latino community. 
That's beautiful. Um, I think it's really important um, for you to, for not just you, but everyone to embrace their culture and um, let people share it. Is that something that came natural to you or is that something that you kind of had to evolve into as you've um, navigated your career? A little bit of both, right? So I grew up um, in the suburbs of Chicago. It was predominantly white. Um, Growing up, actually, my school district was very diverse. And then we merged with another high school at the high school level with another district. And then, you know, it became predominantly white, more affluent people. So I had to, like, Mm. adjust and culture switch and a code switch and all of that and figure out how to navigate a space as a first generation Latina versus, you know, you know, being in this culture where, you know, folks are coming from legacy backgrounds, you know, their parents went to college, they navigated these spaces. So they already have a system in place and a blueprint to follow. Whereas I was kind of like figuring it out on my own and, you know, relying on my peers who identified as first gen too, like creating that community to figure it out together was really key. Um, so I had to really force myself into uncomfortable positions and pursuing uncomfortable extracurricular activities because I didn't have a role model per se doing right. it before me. <laughs> so, you know, even though I felt uncomfortable or, um, you know, you know, my mom would always tell me, feel the fear and do it anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm the first to navigate this space. It doesn't mean I'm fearless. It means I'm just pushing through it because I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel type of thing. Um, so, I, you know, I definitely encourage um, other people who are hesitant about being, you know, between two spaces to just go for it. And ultimately, you can't really care what other people think. Um, you have to just care about, you know, why are you doing something? Um, you know, what's the end goal that you're looking to accomplish and go from there and like block out the noise happening. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great advice because I um it, it resonates with me as well um as a Pacific Islander, a Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander, um in predominantly white spaces, right? Like yeah. I know earlier in my career, I'm a little, you know, I, I have some time in now, but I remember earlier in my career, I was like, like you said, like there's no one that I can follow. Like who's who's representing, you know, like by Pacific Islander cultures do do we belong here? Um, I don't know, just someone who who can light that, help to light that fire, right? And I think very much like you along the way, it was just like, well, if nobody else is going to do it, I guess it's going to have to be me, right? Yeah, um, if not you, who? Right. And then you think about the people that follow after you. If, you know, if you're not going to be courageous and go after it, then the next generation, they're not going to either. And then you know, you remain in the status quo, the, the needle never moves. So yeah, there has to be some type of inner fire to just go for it, you know? For sure. Yeah, I think it took me some time to to be like, it's who cares what people think, right? Like, just be brave. <laughs> it's so much easier said than done. Like, I don't want to dismiss that. It is really hard. But, you know, with practice, and that's why I, I intentionally go after scary things, things that mm-hmm. I'm not even... I. I might even say I'm not ready for, I'm just like, you know what, I'll figure it out on my way. And, you know, the worst that can happen is, you know, there's a failure and I get to learn from it. And in my book, that's a win. So I totally agree. All about perspective. For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what would you say is the the scariest thing that you've ever done? Uh, Literally, the scariest thing is jumping out of a plane. I skydived the day I turned 18 pretty much. I think it was like a month after. <laughs> um, so that's probably something I will never do again. I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> terrifying, but I'm glad I checked it off my bucket list. Um, and then career wise, I would say, um, so I'm a career pivoter. And um, I think that was really scary. I studied political science, had a liberal arts background. I wanted to go down that path. And then I saw an opportunity in the tech space to, you know, pivot into that. And I had no technical background or foundation, really. I took one computer science class in college, did pretty good, but I was like, I'm not a coder. I don't like this. And then um, actually at, at one of my jobs, I was working in marketing and communications, and I sat right next to the web development people. 
And I'm like, you know what? I want to like be different than the rest of the marketers. So I would like hang out with them. And I'm like, can you teach me like what you do? Because we had some overlap in, in our roles, like uploading stories to the website. And I'm like, can I just, can I learn from you and take that off your plate? I want to build a new skill. So, you know, they would pull me into a you know, conference room. We would record the sessions. They'd walk me through step-by-step step how to work in content management systems. And then it grew from there. And I little did I know a class I took in college would come full circle. And now, you know, I ended up working in, you know, content management systems for a bit. And then that eventually opened up multiple other doors to work in like IT consulting and now at Adobe. So, you know, it's crazy to think about how, you know, certain um, certain situations prepare you for the next step. And you might not know where it'll lead to, but by having an open mind and just saying yes, it can lead you down a really happy, fulfilling path. So <laughs> that's my little spiel about career pivots is, you know, you can, anyone could do it. Just, you know, have the passion and curiosity to go after it. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And it's one of the things that I admire from the younger generation that is coming up today. And in, in that, like, they, ha- they're, they don't want to pigeonhole themselves, right? Like, they like to learn different skills, um, which is not common with um, people of my generation, or maybe not my generation, maybe a little bit older than my generation. Um, in that, like, they get they know one way and they're comfortable that way. But I feel like you kind of um, uh, I don't know what's the word prevent prevent yourself from like a lot of different things that life can have to offer um, with that open mindedness. Um, that you mentioned. And I think one thing that I I really picked up about what you said was um, the question of, can I learn from you? Um, I think Mm -hmm. that mindset is really important for people because I think we can get into this, this train of thought that we can only learn from people who are above us. But there's so much to learn from people all around us, peers, juniors. Like I learn from people on my team who are junior to me every day. Like they teach me something about a skill set or even something about myself that I'm like, oh, I need to work on that. Uh, You know, so I I, I love that that kind of approach um, that you take. Yeah, definitely. And I like to think of it like my approach to building who I am, because ultimately, I think I view myself as the architect of my life and my career and everything. Um, And I like to take a mosaic approach. So like you were saying, taking bits and pieces of, you know, other people's approach and style and communication and making it my own. Um, But, you know, taking those little nuggets and, you know, spinning it and making it resonate with me and my life's experience and stories um, cause everything, everyone has something to contribute, right. you know, like you, like you said, it's not dependent on your age or experience or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty about diversity and people of different cultures and all of that. Yes, ab- absolutely. Um, I think, uh, yeah, diversity can take so many different, um, aspects and I think, um, it's such a beautiful thing to have. It makes any organization, whether it's a professional one, a civic one, whatever it is, just makes it more fulsome and more enriching um, to have those different perspectives um, in the mix. So uh, definitely love the work that you're doing um, and especially the work that you're doing to um, inspire the youth. Um, Before we jump into your book, um, The Inspired Latina, um, t- can you tell us, like, what was your favorite childhood book and did it influence your writing at all? Oh, my God. So I'm um, a book nerd full on um, my library. I just looked over at it. It's like my prized possession. Growing up, I had a couple favorite books. Um, I love the work of uh, I love um, Catcher in the Rye. Mm. Salinger. There's just something about that story that really resonated with me about independence and coming to age and finding your own path, uh, carving your own path. And then I loved um, 
Scott Fitzgerald, his work, his writing style. Uh, so Great Gatsby is one of, you know, a classic that I love. <laughs> um, Hemingway. So I'm, I, you know, go back and resonate with all of the like classic literature legends um, and 100% has influenced how I view the world through literature, you know, using that as an art medium. Um, and like I was talking about the mosaic, you know, I definitely kind of merge a lot of those writing styles to create my own. Yeah, and that's beautiful. And I love that you picked up on the, um, like the independence and carving your own your own path. It's definitely evident in, um, you know, having read, you know, a little bit about you, I can definitely see that in your own work. Um, and, you know, how you're kind of trailblazing for, for the young Latinas um, and others who, um, may yet join you in the ranks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm excited to dive into that a little bit further. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about your story in today's Inspired Young Latina. Um, I believe it's an anthology series, right? Where you, you're joined by a number of authors. Yes. Um, can you share with us, like, tell us a little bit about your story, uh, what inspired it, and um, yeah, help us learn more about it. Yeah, so I have the book right here. Um, you're right, it's a compilation of 20 stories from young Latinas making moves in business and their community. Um, and it's a compilation of women from across the country. Um, actually, one of my friends and collaborators from the ASE board is part of this uh, the series as well, which is really nice to have that sisterhood and connection. Um, her story is amazing. I actually have a sticky note with an excerpt from her story because I think she does a really good job articulating a point I hope to uh, dig into a little deeper. Um, but as far as um, the inspiration, I love that question because it's something I really grappled with because I wanted my story to really resonate and tell a piece of my perspective and the challenges I went through in my career, um, especially you know when I was first getting started. And, you know, I was grappling with, you know, what are some experiences I've had in the business world that other women need to hear about that maybe aren't normalized, that aren't spoken about enough? And, you know, ultimately, I wanted to highlight a few things. By the way, here's my chapter on page 101. <laughs> um, there's a couple themes that I touch on. I wanted to capture the performance anxiety that comes with young Latinas and just people of color in general, right? There's this nagging sense that, um, do I belong here? Am I good enough? You know, imposter syndrome, am I here because of a quota or, you know, just these narratives that are toxic that really dismiss the hard work that all of us have put in to be where we are. So that's one element. I wanted to also touch on, you know, some of the uh, intercultural uh, biases that may exist, right? So uh, my friend Ellie, she talks about in her chapter, but, you know, having role models or, you know, other Latinas that you look up to and then you interact and then you find out that they actually have biases toward other Latinas as well. So it can be really dis disappointing and disheartening to realize that. But how do you forge forward? And ultimately, I wanted to end on a, on a light, positive note is how did I take some of these quote unquote negative experiences performance anxiety, internal intercultural bias, and how do, how do I use that to create um, my own paradigm around the world, which is really around growth mindset and taking those experiences and pushing through and realizing, you know, I can't change how old I am. I can't change how I look. I can't change the bias someone might have uh, when they see me or what, you know, presumptions they may have but I'm in control of my narrative at the end of the day. I'm the architect of my life. I'm the architect of uh, my career and how I want to perceive certain situations and forge a path forward that, you know, maintains my power at the end of the day. Um, so really the inspiration came from my life experiences and wanting to communicate um, some of those challenging topics that aren't talked about nearly enough. Yeah, that's great. I I think I would love to hear more about um like what like an example of intercultural biases amongst Latinas because I think that might be something that resonates from other cultures too because there are like 
nuances in that when we talk about Latina, like what does that mean and who who com- comes under the category of Latina, right? I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, that's definitely one element. You know, there's still a lot of colorism in the Latino community and, um, you know, there can be some people who take the extreme of that. And, you know, if you're light skin, you know, you get demonized. You know, if you're too dark, you get demonized. So, you know, there's, it's like, you can't win either way, which is, you know, in my chapter, I'm like, you know, just accept what you can't change and, you know, forge a path forward. Um, in my chapter, I talk about, um, I was on a call with an executive director at a nonprofit and I was doing work for ASE, um, you know, creating a partnership with this organization and the first thing that is shared on the call with that ED is, wow, you are so young. Anything is possible. And she looks at her assistant. She's like, see, like anything can, is possible. Um, and, you know, just some of the bias around like age, you know, reverse ageism and things like that. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, well, anything's possible that you work hard for. You put mm-hmm. in the time and energy. You have natural talent. <laughs> like there's. Of you know, in some ways, a formula behind it. But at the end of the day, what underlies that is hard work. And right. you know, it wasn't given to me. You know, these positions or promotions, whatever, they were earned. Um, mm-hmm. And so, th- you know, that's an example of a bias, especially taking age into perspective, because the book is about young Latinas. Um, right. But you know, there's so many other examples culturally of you know biases, like you know. If you you know have a certain educational background, you know there's toxic narratives like, oh, you think you're better than everyone. Um, there's a saying in Spanish like, no te creas tanto, right? Don't think like, don't be so full of yourself, especially if you mm-hmm. share audacious, bold goals like, hey, I want to f- be the founder of my own company one day, or CEO, or in the C-suite, or serve on a board. Um, you know, there's sometimes backlash within certain groups um in the community that you know they're like oh you're you're so full of yourself or don't dream too big you know you humble yourself which is you know it's backwards right we should be encouraging people to dream big and audaciously and you know unfortunately just you know there's going to be noise like we were talking about earlier that you have to mute out and just stay hyper focused on your goals yes i think that's that's a very um something that we see commonly in terms of like, don't, don't, don't push yourself, you know, to dream big. I think that one is probably a little bit generational. I don't know. What do you think about that? Like the generational aspect? I think so. Yeah. I think the younger generation, you know, millennials and Gen Z, they're really breaking barriers and Mm -hmm. not letting limiting belief sets hold them back, which is beautiful and amazing. And I hope, I hope really the compilation of these stories tell that narrative. And a lot of the, the stories do, you know, people thought this about me, they had all these presumptions and then I proved them wrong and here's how you can do it too type of thing. So yeah, yeah it's an amazing thing to be part of this collection of stories that are centered on this experience. And the more we talk about it, the more people can break that pattern and, you know, open the floodgates for better, more, uh, more inclusive experiences for others. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I'm, I think that's like something that the older generation should celebrate because I feel like a lot of the challenges that, you know, they have faced um, and what they've been fighting for is for better um, to put the younger generation in a better place. Right. And so like, this is, you know, this is what we wanted for them. Um, and to see them bringing that come to fruition and, you know, further evolving um, kind of the, the state of the culture or the state of the people to me is worth celebrating. Um, and so I, you know, at least from my perspective, I feel like, um, yeah. I don't know, what am I, Gen X? I think, 
I don't know. Whatever. The one that's kind of like in between. and, and can Yeah, Dead X. <laughs> I, I get lost in all of the names. <laughs> I know. Um, the work isn't done, though. I mean, there's right. still a lot of toxicity in the workplace and other avenues um, or other facets of life. So, you know, I and for me, I'm still passing the baton and you know, mm-hmm. passing the torch on to the next generation. And, um, you know, as if we all come together, all yeah. generations and break those barriers down, we're just going to see more progress. And Absolutely. like you said, that's what we want, right? We want to set up the next gen to take that torch and go further with it. Yeah, definitely. So um, I get excited. I think it's sometimes it just takes the, the right, it's just, it, you just never know where inspiration can come from. I'll, I'll just say that. Like I, I have been surprised by things that inspire me. And I think the key to it is just maintaining that open mindset and being open to those other perspectives that could teach you something or just could, you know, like spark a a thought or open up um, a previous block that you maybe you didn't even know you had your own unconscious bias on something. So, um, you know, it helped me with that. Um, mm -hmm. I was really blessed at a young age and being, um, you know, having my cultural background of traveling to Honduras when I was really young. Um, I think the first time I went, I was 11 or 12 years old. It was culture shock to the extreme. Um, mm. I think in the U.S., a lot of us grew up in somewhat of a bubble or a skewed view of the world that, you know, when we think about below poverty line, Section 8, we're like, oh, it's so bad. And then you go to a third world country like Honduras or you know any developing country and you're like, whoa, this is a whole other level. Yes. It embeds a whole new level of gratitude um, and perspective. And you know, through that experience, I'm so grateful to my parents for taking me throughout my youth. Um, it just sparked this love of culture, love of travel. So I got the travel bug. Um, and like, you know, through all my jobs um, growing up, I would save all of it just so I could travel. Um, and so I've been at this point, like 25 countries. I'm actually Yay. in Vietnam at the end of this month, getting another um, stamp in my passport. Um, I've been, you know, I lived in Indonesia for a year. Um, uh... I, I lived in a couple other big metros in the U.S. But all of those experiences, right, they open your mind up to how do people view this situation? How do they deal with conflict? How do they communicate with, <laughs> with one another? It's really interesting. And it, it does, you know, it's so critical. So definitely anyone listening, you know, make travel and exposure to any um, culture different from your own, a top priority. So that will develop your empathy and understanding of the world tenfold. Yes, I second that 100%. Like I have traveled to about the same amount of you as you, maybe a little bit more, but every, yeah, every time I come back, it, it just gives you a new appreciation for just how spoiled Americans are just yes. in general. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, um, no complaint that I have on a, on a normal day is actually a real complaint. Um and it's not like suffering Olympics, but it's just like understanding the just the differences and the depth of, of things um, that are people are experiencing all over this wonderful place that we call Earth. Um, and I don't, yeah, it's it's definitely given me a different outlook on life for sure. Um, and also like another like inner measure for me to like even check myself because I have my own, you know, privileges and and things that, you know, I take for granted um, just as a human being, as a person, as an American. Um, <laughs> but um, having those those travel experiences have definitely been valuable. And I'm so glad that you've had them so early in your life and that it continues to be a passion for you. Vietnam is definitely on my um, list of places that I would love to go. So I'm looking forward to hearing about it and seeing your pictures, um, you know, when you get back and everything. Um, of all the places that you've been, do you have a favorite? Um, I have a favorite per 
like different categories, I would say. Um, I lived in Indonesia for a year, so that holds a special place in my heart. And I yeah, can you tell people why? Because that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So the reason why I went through um, a postgraduate program called Fulbright. Um, it's a program sponsored through the Department of State. And for me, I originally wanted to apply to Turkey um, because at the time there was a lot of Islamophobia happening mm. in the US and the media. And I really wanted to expose myself to a culture that there's not a lot of understanding, but there's a lot of misconceptions around. Um, and then, you know, Turkey just looked amazing, all the art, the mosaic tiles, the color of the food. Um, but at the time, my mentor was like, hey, there's a coup going on. <laughs> I think they're going to cancel the program. If you want to be embedded into Muslim culture, look into Indonesia. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the fourth largest democracy in the world. And they have the second largest Muslim population. Um, and I'm like, OK, I've never considered it. Let me look into it. Um, and the more I did research into it and started to understand the culture, um, I just I fell in love. And I definitely, you know, have some type of connection to Southeast Asia. Um, it was the first place I traveled to outside of Honduras um, during my travel bug era um, to Thailand. So I was like, OK, I think I can do this and go back. Um, and that's when I lived um, in a little apartment during that Fulbright experience no access to hot water. So, you know, kind of like the bucket, cold water, you know, I had to time my showers appropriately. Like 2 p.m. was a sweet spot because the water heater <laughs> would be like lukewarm at the time instead of ice cold in the morning. Um, but I would say, you know, Indonesia holds that special place in my heart. And I, I made a lot of connections that I still talk to and keep in touch with today. That's beautiful. That's actually another place that I would love love to visit um, as well. I, I, it's great. <laughs> the, um, a wonderful mix of culture and lots of interesting current events issues. I think that most a lot of people don't even know about. So um, wonderful. I love it. Let's see. Um, so. You know, we're obviously celebrating Women's History Month. And so that's another reason why I'm, I'm so glad we ha get to have you on the show. Um, let's see. Uh, who are the important women in your life um, and how have they influenced you? I think first and foremost, um, my mother is a huge pioneer in my life. Um, the fact that she left her native country um, when she was like 18 years old, um, came here, didn't know the language, learned English, <laughs> built a career for herself, was a working mother, juggled raising five kids, like the list goes on and on. Real estate investor, she was kind of that, you know, it goes back to The Great Gatsby and that being one of my favorite books. Mm. Um, this kind of, uh, you know, rags to riches i wouldn't necessarily call us rich or anything but it's that kind of story arc around you know starting with you know almost the odds stacked against you having a growth mindset building incrementally and you know being in a really happy place uh you know in her life and being able to open pathways for not just me but my other siblings so she is at the top of the pedestal for me um you know, there's obviously a lot of other women um, who I really look up to, um, you know, mavens in the tech sector. Um, there's a lot of women, even within Adobe, that I look up to. Um, I'm part of the Women's Employee Resource Group as well. So okay. that gives me another opportunity to cross-pollinate, learn from them, um, you know, put on events um, that talk about important issues. Um, quick plug, actually, next week with Ase, um, I would say, you know, so many women on that board that I look up to and who influence who I am today. Um, but we're hosting an event next Wednesday for International Women's Day. It's a lunch and learn event. Um, it's called Embrace Equity. And we're going to have a panel of four amazing women um, talking about how to influence change in the workplace. It's free. <laughs> so um, I'll share a link to that um, with you, Moana, after the call. Great. But um, you know, there's so many figurative women I look up to. Um, actually, there's a chapter 
um, in the book that I have called out here because I share a lot of these um, women role models too that my friend Ellie talks about. Um, and she says, growing up, I didn't have a role model, but now as a young adult, I had heroes like Justice Sonia Sotomayor, Dolores Huertas, Sandra Cisneros, which I love her book, by the way, <laughs> and America Ferreira. And these were women who looked like me, who were fearless, authentically themselves, and breaking barriers. That's who I wanted to be. Um, and so all those women, you know, whether they're legends, like the women I just named, um, my mother, or people I interact with at work through the Women ERG, or even ASE, um, you know, all of them, they're paving a way, um, they're role models in their own right. And I don't think I like share enough kudos with the women in my life. Um, Cause you know, I'll be watching from afar and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you killed that presentation at work or, you know, you see them on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I think that's an important lesson too, is that people are watching, even if they don't necessarily say things to you all the time, they're watching and admiring from afar. And that sense of community and sisterhood is, it's just amazing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's super important because um, there's like, a, there can be these this toxic mentality about that, like the women are catty and they can't get along. And, and while it is true for a, a yeah. good section of it, um, I think we need to hold ourselves better accountable to that and really do better at supporting each other, calling out the successes, being there, you know, to cheer them on through the highs and the lows, because like all of those, those battles are important. And um, just the sisterhood, I, I think is, is really important. It's, it's the thing that we lean on um, a lot, especially, you know, when we're dealing with common challenges and bigger obstacles that we're all facing. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and, you know, there's certain topics that only women can relate to each other on. <laughs> <And> so- <laughs> Um, to have that, uh, you know, kind of support system um, to guide you. Yeah, definitely. Um, who would you say um, are like the key, I guess, foundational blocks to your support system? Um, as far as people or? Um, people, yeah, women um, in, in any of it, yeah. Um, as far as people, definitely my two older sisters, my mom, and then, you know, I have a close knit friend, uh, circle of friends who I rely on and, you know, not all of them might relate to my experience cause we're all in different fields, but we're mm-hmm. all career hungry women. Right. Um, you know, my sister, she's a doctor, my other sisters in education. So can they relate one-to-one to my tech experience? No, but the fact that they're paving a way in their own right and yeah. they're part of, you know, small circle of, you know, 2% Latinas in in med field, you know, like they can relate to that impact and kind of um, their influence that they have on women they've never even met, right? Down the road, people are going to look up to them and say, wow, you did that. And you're inspiring me to pursue a similar path as well. Um, And then, you know, same with my friends from, you know, the perspective of them also being, um, you know, uh, mid-level professionals in a corporate space. (laughs) It's really, it's really nice to have people who can relate to that that experience, send memes to each other about the parodies of work life and all of that good stuff. But really, as far as building blocks and foundation, for me, it's it has to be internal. It has to be, you know, I constantly check myself and evaluate my mindset, what's mm-hmm. holding me back, what's not. So I mentioned growth mindset earlier super foundational. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of, you know, something goes wrong or, you know, not in the way that you anticipate it. And then, you know, coming up with all these reasons why you can't, um, or you're not able to, um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking right now of my MBA program that I'm doing in addition to working full time. Um, I did, I just bombed an assignment. Um, this was last semester And immediately my mind gravitated to, you know what, maybe I'm not cut out to be doing like all these graphs and, you know, quantitative analysis. It it was an econ class. I'm like, you know what, maybe I should drop the class. I'm not in the right headspace. I want to give up. Immediately gravitated to that. And then I called one of my girlfriends and I'm like, I'm feeling this way. I feel like I should drop the class. I don't want to 
you know, end up with a bad grade. And she was like, no, you've got this. You are capable of learning what you put your effort toward. And so just changing to that growth mindset and Mm -hmm. checking myself, checking some of the limiting beliefs that I had, I was able to turn it around. And but I'm glad I didn't drop it because by the end I got an A in the class. And so if I let that minor setback hold me back, imagine other situations, right? You know, not having that mental resilience. So that's number two foundation is having mental fortitude and mental resilience to overcome the hiccups and bumps in the road because they're naturally going to happen. And they have happened a lot in my career. (laughs) Um, Really tough situations that I had to overcome. Um, And, you know, looking back, I'm like, I could have let that destroy my entire future, right? And just given up and said, you know what, this person said these harmful comments, I'm thinking of a manager, (laughs) who basically said, like, you're not cut out for for this, you're not cut Mm -hmm. out to be a consultant. If I let that person get in my head and let that fester, I would not be where I am, you know, so cutting out the noise. um, So that's number three, which is using discretion. Um, You know, you have to be able to distinguish good advice from bad, good commentary that's going to serve you and bad, where it's just, you know, it doesn't make you feel good. Um, It's not leading you to a path of empowerment. Um, I've had to do that a lot. And actually, I talk about that in my chapter a little bit, right? I talk about, you know, if I had let minor, um, you know, microaggressions and comments um, that were not uplifting get to me, you know, you would have nothing. So that really, for me, that's part of, it's part of the foundation. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really hard, um, you know, through therapy, I'll put the plug in for, you know, uh, destigmatizing mental health through therapy, through asking tough questions um, to myself, journaling. Um, I do a lot of journaling. Um, Obviously, you know, I do uh, published writer now. Um, And, you know, having that support system to talk about, do you go through these thoughts? How would you handle this? Like, coach me through this. Um, It's really, really been pivotal for me. Um, So hopefully that helps other people who are kind of like figuring out their style and what works for them. Yeah, no, those are all great, um, great tips and um, ideas for, for people to consider all very important um, navigating work and actual, you know, personal life too. Um, Let's see, we're getting close to the end. So I'm going to ask the one last question, um, which I think is, um, important given, um, you know, that we're talking about inspiring youth today. Mm-hmm. Um, for any young Indigenous or Latinx girls that are looking at becoming a writer, uh, what advice would you give to them um, as they're considering this path? Um, so what I did, I'll give tactical advice, and then I'll give broader advice. And I'll end with a quote from my book. Um So for me, um, I realized in order to be a good writer, you need to be able and willing to learn from other writers. So that means, you know, you have to read a lot. Um, It means developing your vocabulary. Um, Actually, (laughs) I read um, Malcolm X's autobiography, which is one of my favorite autobiographies I've ever read. And he had a chapter, you know, when he was in prison that he talks about, you know, when he was incarcerated, he took um, a dictionary uh, um, and he literally started memorizing the whole dictionary. And that's how he built up his diction and vocabulary. And I really resonated with that because when I w- I took a, um, a creative writing class growing up, you know, literature, um, I, you know, whenever I'd write my chapters, I'd go to a thesaurus, I'd build my vocabulary. So I had them in my back pocket. Um, so build your vocabulary, read other people's work, um, and then practice. You have to practice and not be afraid and share it with other people. Um, I have written a couple LinkedIn articles. That I don't, you know, for me, looking back, some of them I wrote like three or four years ago, and I just shared it with a friend. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> It makes me cringe because my style has changed so much. But, you know, you just got to go for it. Um, There's so many free mediums, um, including LinkedIn. um, Medium.com is one. Blogger. Um, I grew up during the Zynga era. (laughs) 
<laughs> and MySpace. So that's kind of how I got my start with with blogging and stuff and then journaling. But you have to be willing to share your work and like ask people to critique it and get their thoughts. So that's the tactical side, right? Um, and then as far as um, just in general advice, so a quote from my book that um, I really like because you know anyone can be a writer. There's no right or wrong. It's about telling your story and um, tapping into your emotion and putting pen to paper to communicate those feelings and emotions and getting people to feel like they're there with you. Um, but in my chapter, I said, what is possible is defying stereotypes or boxes other others try to put you in. So, you know, I'll end with that piece of advice. Anyone interested, Latinas and BIPOC people who want to be a writer. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, classic literature examples. You don't need to follow that script. You can recreate it. I, I think of um, Rupi Carr, the author of all those poetry books, including, um, uh, I forgot the name of the book exactly, but for Honey, um, it's, it's a poetry book. But her style was groundbreaking. She broke the mold. She didn't follow this, you know, typical writing structure Um and, you know, now everyone's trying to replicate her approach, right? So, you know, I would say just figure out your style, your tone, um, what you want to convey, and don't be afraid to break barriers and step outside of the box, right? Because you don't have to fit into the box that other people want you to fit into. It's all about you and your experiences. I love it. Break the box. <laughs> break the box. Burn it. <laughs> Burn it all down. <laughs> no, I, I think that's actually very good advice because, um, you know, as, as someone who is uh, a writer of Pacific Islander stories, there isn't a lot of blueprint to follow. And that can be um, a double-edged sword, right? Like, because mm -hmm. one, you, it's, it is nice when you have, like, kind of someone to help guide you along the way. But then it can it, it's it also is freeing to not be able like not be constrained and um, being able to think about like putting your own little spin on the way you want to convey your stories. So um, yeah, uh, the, the creativity is um, it's just a, a lot more um, impactful, I think, in in that way. Um, and so I, I love that you talk about um, forging your own path again, back to the, the yes. that are important to you. <laughs> reminded me of another thing too. You know, it's romanticize it. If you want to be an author, romanticize it. I wrote my chapter. Um, I was sitting in like a really dreamy cafe in Portugal with like my cafecito in hand. And I just like got into the zone and it, it was nice to do that. So, you know, make it feel good to you so that you continued with that habit of writing, right? Because you don't have to do it in one sitting. It's tackle it literally one paragraph <laughs> at a time um, and go from there. And, you know, if you're consistent, you're going to grow and, and get better at it. So definitely, yeah. you know, make it, make it enjoyable. Absolutely. It has to be enjoyable for you if you're going to continue this in the long run. And yeah. Like stay true. Yeah. <laughs> stay true to your voice too, you know, like Yeah. Writer's block is real. Oh my know, god. With a lot of artists, um, you know, being able to get into the zone, um, that can be hard. So Yep. Yeah. Yep. Find those spaces that make you feel good and um sometimes you just gotta escape there because yeah, the writer's block is 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 real. I'm having a little bit of it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this chapter, it, it took energy to complete for sure. Because, you know, I was so obsessed with making it perfect. I'm like, it's going to be living on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, not everything needs to be perfect. It just needs to be meaningful to you. So. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Great advice. Great advice. All righty. Well, the hour has gone by very quickly. I really yeah. enjoyed this chat. <laughs> Um, Me too. Thank you for sharing all of your wonderful perspectives and 
travels and advice. Like, I just feel this was like jam packed with nuggets so <laughs> from a lot of different aspects. Um, so thank you again for coming. But before we head out, how can people um, purchase your book and yeah. how can they connect with you online to um, get to know your projects? Love it. Okay. Um, so today's Inspired Young Latina, volume four, looks like this. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, so just look for this and, um, you know, I'll share a link to, to the link uh, to purchase it. Um, and then as far as connecting with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can email me. I'll share that out after the call as well. Um, but, you know, Moana, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been really fun. <laughs> I was looking forward to this. Uh, thank you for putting that um, in the comments. Yes. Um, it's been really fun. And I really enjoyed um, being on here again. It's, it's always fun to see a familiar face. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad we got to connect and further build our, our new friendship. Um, yeah. And hopefully um, our, our paths will cross at some point in time um, in, in the real, the physical plane. Um, yes. But in the meantime, we certainly wish you all the best with this book um, and any of your future projects that you might be working on. Um, when those do come out, feel free to reach on back to us so we can um, help to spread the word of all the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, and again, on behalf of Dana and myself, thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Um, if you have enjoyed tonight's episode, please like, share, um, subscribe to the channel. That helps us to get the, the message out to a broader community. Um, you can follow us Moana Nui podcast on the Agents of Geekdom and we are on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, all the spots and then um, later on your favorite uh, podcast platforms. Um, so thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you once again, Alexandra, for joining us. I hope you guys um, enjoyed the rest of your week. Have a wonderful weekend, um, however you choose to do it. I hope that I can break through some writer's block this weekend and, <laughs> knock, <laughs> and knock out a good story um, that I have to push my own deadlines. But um, with that said, we will see you guys soon. Take care. Malama pono. Ahui ho, everybody. Bye-bye. So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will If this the land of the free, it was a freedom then When they annexed Hawaii and called it see the lands Without any type of payment and no signing off Called themselves the Republic in 1894 1.2 million acres overtaken from the native Hawaiians When they resisted, the West retaliated in violence and erasure The Hawaiian language is banned As part of colonialism's plan to expand, yeah Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation No work out for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will Too many Stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell me we will We will So if we put Hawaii in a perspective Well black and Asian history is interconnected Considering the fight with the Pacific Then of course versus Asia They was treated as a middleman for war But didn't let the western colorism run its course Cause dark skin was a sign of dignity to call The land was taken in the name of capitalism When prior to it was an actual kingdom Clap back at the system Stuck with between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation no work out for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will Too many stories
have to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will We will